Spasticity is an abnormal increase in muscle tone caused by damage to the nervous system that regulates muscle activity. Spasticity is often a problem for stroke victims. What are the latest ways to manage or better control spasticity? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Joel Stein, Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Harvard Medical School, and the Chief Medical Officer at the Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dr. Stein. Thank you. Today we are discussing spasticity management in stroke patients. Dr. Stein, what exactly is spasticity and why do patients who have strokes get it? Spasticity is an abnormal increase in in muscle tone and reflexes that is generally associated with an injury to the brain or to the spinal cord. It's seen in stroke individuals because of the damage to the brain and the disinhibition, essentially, of the reflex arcs that results, and it manifests itself often as tightness in the muscles that close the fingers, that bend the wrist and elbow, and in the leg that extend the knee and the ankle. Does this universally happen to all patients after strokes? No, but it it does affect a substantial portion of stroke survivors, particularly those who have substantial weakness as a result of their stroke. And why is this particularly something that we have to address? Spasticity can have a negative impact on the individual that's experiencing it in several ways. One way is that it can affect their positioning, so they may be unable to fit in an ankle brace or even in a shoe if they have spasticity at the ankle. It can affect their ability to dress themselves if they have a lot of increased muscle tone in the arm. The other way in which it can affect individuals is that it can be painful. It can either cause painful spasms uh, or more commonly in stroke survivors, it can force the limb into positions that are intrinsically uncomfortable. And then lastly, it, it may interfere in some cases with functional activities so that an excessive amount of wrist flexor tone might interfere with the use of the hand, for example. Do all patients who have strokes develop some sort of spasticity? No. Obviously, individuals that don't have weakness typically don't get spasticity. Those that do have weakness may or may not. Some have relatively normal muscle tone. By definition, if they have weakness, they usually have some degree of reduced motor control. But that's really distinct from spasticity when used kind of in a medical context. And does the spasticity start straight away after the stroke, or does it develop over time? There are individuals that have spasticity occur very early on. But more typically, it does take a few weeks to develop and sometimes months. So what is the mainstay for therapy for spasticity? Well, it depends to a large extent on which body segments are affected and what the cause of the spasticity is. Most individuals, the spasticity tends to develop after a period of weeks or even months after the stroke and tends to increase somewhat over that time period. And what is the mainstay for treatment for the spasticity? That depends on the specific location of the spasticity and the cause of the spasticity. Individuals after stroke typically have a lot of spasticity affecting the arm and to a lesser extent at the leg, especially at the ankle. They tend not to respond as well to oral medications as individuals with other diagnoses such as multiple sclerosis or spinal cord injury might. 
And what's commonly used as a treatment in, in these individuals is splinting. And then if that's ineffective, as it often is, then botulinum toxin injections are commonly used. Why don't they respond as well to oral medications? Part of it has to do with the pathophysiology of the spasticity. It's the actual location of the injury in the nervous system it does have a, play a role in, in how the spasticity is manifested. The other issue is that many individuals with stroke, because it can affect cognition, are unable to tolerate the sedating medications that are typically used, and they find that they're just too sedated from the medication or too fatigued. And how does splinting actually help with the spasticity? Splinting and, and stretching help reduce the degree of muscle overactivity by affecting the afferent limb of the reflex arc and essentially reducing the gain in the system. They're not treatments in a long-term sense, but they do help control on a day-to-day -day basis the manifestations of spasticity. So this would be, as you said, a temporary approach? It's kind of the fundamental approach that every individual needs to use to help manage their spasticity, but it's not curative. It's really a, more to manage it. And what's commonly used is kind of a layered approach. You'll start with splinting and stretching. In some individuals, that's sufficient. In others, it's not. You may try a course of oral medications, but those are not necessarily effective in this population. And then you would add on top of stretching and splinting perhaps a uh, botulinum toxin injection. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Joel Stein, associate professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Harvard Medical School, and the chief medical officer at the Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. We are discussing spasticity management in stroke patients. Dr. Stein, you mentioned about Botox use in spasticity. How exactly is that done? This is done using an injection. Typically, the toxin is divided among several different uh, aliquots within either one or several muscles. And really, the selection of those muscles is based on clinical grounds, which muscles are causing the symptoms in this particular individual, and what are the goals of treatment. The, the actual administration of it may be guided, in some cases, by EMG or by uh, electrical stimulation through the needle tip to ensure that it's in the correct muscle. Well, how do you determine whether you've been successful? Is it complete elimination of spasticity or a significant decrease, or, or what is your gauge? It's rare to completely eliminate spasticity, and that's, that's typically not our goal. Uh, more commonly, the goal would be to reduce the amount of spasticity to the point where the, the individual is more comfortable or better able to function in terms of dressing or wearing a brace or using their limb in some fashion. So it, it's really titrated to their clinical goals and functional abilities. What happens if these modalities don't work? What's your next step? In very selected patients, the use of intrathecal baclofen has also been used for stroke survivors. This is an implantable pump that is placed subcutaneously under the skin of the abdomen, and a catheter is tunneled to the subarachnoid space in the spine. A continuous infusion of very small amounts of baclofen is provided through the pump, can dramatically reduce spasticity, typically in the legs to a lesser extent in the arms. It's been used very effectively for individuals with spasticity due to paraplegia or quadriplegia from spinal cord injury, individuals with traumatic brain injury, 
and it is used in individuals with hemiplegic stroke, although less commonly. Is this something that is experimental, or is this used throughout the country? This is available nationally. It's a well-established therapy. Most of the utilization has been for individuals with multiple sclerosis, spinal cord injury, cerebral palsy in children with lesser amounts of use in, in traumatic brain injury and stroke. Are certain muscle groups affected more than others, the legs or the arms, uh, any particular ones that are more common? There are fairly classic patterns of spasticity after stroke in both the arm and the leg. In the arm, the typical pattern is the uh, shoulder being tightly adducted with the elbow kind of held to the, close to the chest wall, the elbow being flexed, and the arm being pronated, and fingers and wrist flexed as well. And the lower extremity? In the lower extremity, usually knee extension to some extent, and uh, particularly ankle plantar flexion and inversion are the typical patterns. Do you ever need surgical intervention for spasticity? Occasionally, tenotomy or tendon lengthenings are needed. Those can be very effective. They tend to be used selectively. In the past, some surgeons also performed uh, rhizotomies or even myelotomies. Uh, Those are less commonly done these days because of the availability of less invasive therapies. In the past 10 years, what has been the major breakthrough, or has there been any major breakthrough in spasticity management? The wider availability of botulinum toxin injection, I think, has had a very substantial impact on the treatment of spasticity after stroke. And I think that there's really pretty good availability of this therapy in in most areas of the country now. Now, we've heard a lot about Botox for the cosmetic applications. When you use Botox in this application, how often do you have to give it? Typically given every three to four months. And do you see the results immediately? It takes usually between 24 to 72 hours to see the effects. There may be still some increase in effects for for up to a week or so, and then most people kind of stay at a fairly good plateau for somewhere between from that period of time till till two and a half months. By then, it starts wearing off for, for many people. Do you ever get patients who are recalcitrant to all of these types of approaches, and their spasticity is almost unmanageable clinically. That can happen. There are other injection techniques that are sometimes used. They're less widely available, although we do do them here in our center. That includes the use of phenol as a uh, neurolytic agent, which can be given to the motor branches of the nerve and is a somewhat older procedure, actually, than botulinum toxin injection, but more technically demanding with some somewhat increased risk because of a risk of dysesthesias with phenol. But it is certainly a good rescue procedure. It's something that I still use quite a bit. And there are other physiatrists around the country that have expertise in this, as well as some neurologists. If a patient has a stroke and you intervene clinically uh, very aggressively and straight away, do you decrease the chance for spasticity, or does that happen to the same degree no matter what you do? I don't think the natural history of spasticity is as well worked out as one might like, but my general sense is that You don't influence the course of spasticity all that much, but you do influence the course of contracture quite a bit. One of the complications of spasticity is loss of range of motion on a permanent basis at a particular joint. And I see patients who are not very attentive to their stretching and positioning programs who do develop progressive contractures despite a relatively mild degree of spasticity. At the same time, I have many patients I've treated who have fairly severe spasticity and despite relying exclusively on stretching and positioning, have been able to prevent contractures for many years because of their diligence and uh, consistency in performing their exercises. And the future, Dr. Stein, uh, in treatment of spasticity? 
I do think that we'll see continued research and perhaps broader clinical application of the use of intrathecal baclofen. There's some intriguing data to suggest that it actually may improve the quality of walking in stroke survivors because it's a relatively invasive surgical procedure. It's been relatively slow to catch on, but I do think it's an interesting area to watch. I do think also there is interest in developing other neurotoxins akin to botulinum toxin, perhaps that have longer durations of activity. So that's an area to keep an eye on. And there's clearly continued work to try and develop better oral antispasticity medications, which are more effective for stroke survivors and, equally importantly, less sedating. I want to thank Dr. Joel Stein, who has been our guest. We have been discussing spasticity management in stroke patients. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.